Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. All right, welcome to Plan for Life Now, episode number 78. Dave, this is the big one-year anniversary. One year ago today was the bottom of the coronavirus decline. Right. When you first said that, I'm sure people were thinking, one year ago today, my life began to suck. (laughs) And and now we see the light at the end of the tunnel. But, yeah, so this was a – I'll let you go ahead and set it up. Well, I was going to say, for most of us, um, you know, the one year since everything kind of shut down, I mean, we – in my household, at least, we think back to March 13th was kind of the last normal day when uh, the kids were still in school. And then it was going to be schools are going to be closed for two weeks. You know, and how naive does that look now um, that we said, yeah, schools will be closed for two weeks, <laughs> two weeks, I, two years, whatever. It's just a word. <laughs> you know, we were saying, well, they'll definitely have them back before the end of school because, you know, we want to do all the end of year things and and send off the, you know, my daughter was in fifth grade, send her off from elementary school in style. Not even close. But what today marks for the stock market, which for the stock market, this is a bigger deal, is the one year since that low in the market. And, you know, for lack of any better term that I've heard anybody else use, you know, I guess we'll just call it the coronavirus decline, the corona decline. I was going to call it the COVID bottom. COVID bottom. All right. Yeah. Um, So let's just kind of run through the numbers real quick. And uh, and I, I went through some of the emails and charts and, you know, all of that stuff that financial advisors love to send to people to, you know, hopefully make you feel a little bit better as things were crashing down. So I went back and looked at some of those charts that we sent. I thought it was kind of interesting just to compare some of these historical declines to what we're looking at right now. So let's just kind of run you through the numbers. And if you've been in one of our review meetings recently, if we've done this with you, you've probably heard a lot of this stuff. So, of course, from February 19th, through March 23rd, the stock market was down just a little bit shy of 34%. And of course, when we talk about the stock market, we're talking about the S&P 500. So 33.92% decline. We can now sit here 12 months later and say that the stock market is up over 75%, which is pretty incredible. Because if we think about the sentiment and the feeling that we had 12 months ago today, 
it was pretty bad. And we remember there was discussion, there was talks about, well, this is going to be the next Great Depression. Uh, it's possible we have millions of people dying. We have unemployment in the, the 20% range. That's a possibility. There were a lot of very dire predictions at this point. And emotionally, boy, I like, I basically, I've said this before on the podcast, I think. I was a history major, not a finance major, a zillion years ago when I was in college. But I always like to feel like historical things. I always try to remember. It's almost like a diary that I don't really have a diary, but I keep it in my head. That feeling on this day a year ago. And you know what? Honestly, for anybody, the emotional feeling you had was a, a sense of, I don't, I don't want to say panic, but definitely anxiety bordering on, not panic, but you knew, at least I felt, this was something I've never seen before. And there's some serious anxiety here because this is a serious issue. <laughs> this was yeah. not a time to feel settled, confident, or any positive word. It was definitely a feeling of, I'm not going to say panic because I wasn't panicked, but definitely high anxiety. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I, I think you'll admit, Dave, and I'll admit we felt anxiety. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, I felt great about things. We're down 34% in slightly over a one month time period. No, nobody felt great about that. Even if we can look at our overall portfolios and certainly you know, this is the mindset and this is the discussion we had with a lot of people at the time is, yeah, this is terrible. You know, we just lost 34% in a little over a month. That's terrible. But here's why you're okay. Because you've got this much guaranteed income coming in. You've got this much in, in fixed products like bonds and cash and things like that that obviously didn't decline by 34%. That more or less kind of held their value there. And we could have that discussion with people and say, listen, as long as the market recovers in the next six or seven years, you're going to be okay. And logically, that makes a lot of sense. But it's still painful to look at statements, to look at your account values and see them down so much. And just to, to, to give you some historical context to when we talk about this decline, and we had this comment early on in the decline where people would say to us, gosh, guys, this one felt worse than other declines. And, of course, we go right back to the financial crisis in 2008, and people think about that one. And then if you go back and search your memory a little more, you go back to the tech bubble in the early 2000s. Um, so those are kind of the, the ones in recent memory that we can look at. And if we look at the financial crisis, that was a decline of 56%, over 56%. Right. The tech bubble was a decline of over 49%. So just on pure numbers, you would look at that and say, well, this one wasn't as bad. But the point that I make is where this really sets itself apart is that was a decline of 34% in basically a month. The financial crisis went from October of 07 to March of 09. So you're talking about a year and a half to lose 56%. Same sort of thing in the tech bubble. You went from March 
of 2000 all the way to October of 2002. So you're talking about two and a half years there to lose 49%. We're talking about 34% in slightly over a month. And yeah. Well, both are bad. I can almost make an argument that 2000, my argument is from the standpoint of an investor or one of our clients. That 2008, the dilemma was it kept going on for a long time. Should I get out now and then go back in when things get better, which we know is the recipe for a complete disaster? Yep. This one was more like, so you had more time to sort of keep thinking about that. This one was, it was so dramatic (laughs) that it's more like, I need to get out now. What happens if it goes to zero type of thing? It's almost like, you know, it's like a, a race car versus a car that doesn't go from zero to 60 so fast. You yeah. just had to make, you had to sort of, you know, hold hold steady while things were plummeting so quickly. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just looking at this daily chart here. Maybe I'll post this in, the, you know, down below uh, the link here for the podcast, but this is just a daily chart. And this is just going from March the 9th. So I'm just going to read these off real quick. March the 9th, negative 7.6. March 10th, up 5%. March 11th, down 5. Then down 9.5. Up 9. Down 12%. Up 6. Down 5. Up half a percent. Down 4. Down 3. Up 9. Up 1. Up 6. I mean, <laughs> I just read through there from March 9th through March 26th. That was some of the wildest. I mean, you saw a negative 12 in there, negative 9. Crazy. I mean, those were, you know, once again, for some historical context, those were two of the six biggest declines in the history of the market. So you certainly lived through some some wild declines there. And, you know, when we were, like I said, we were kind of, Providing people with historical context and showing them, okay, I know this time is different. You know, that's the famous quote, you know, the most dangerous words in investing are, this time is different. Um, and, you know, there's also sayings about history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. You know, basically saying it's not the same, but there's a lot of similar sort of things that will happen. And, of course, this time around, people were saying, listen, we haven't had a global pandemic like this before. Yeah, I know we've had financial crisis and we've had tech bubbles and we've had, you know, oil embargoes and hyperinflation and we've had world wars, but we've never in the modern history of the stock market, 1929 to now, we've never had a global pandemic. So that was, you know, logically, that's a good reason to say this time is different. But once again, this time is different, proved to be very dangerous. Correct. And, and it was different, but it was also the same. <laughs> and the same is new crisis. But yep. you know what? Capitalism, which actually is kind of tied to Darwinism, because it works the same way. Very In this one, it very much sorted out very quickly the winners and losers as the dust settled pretty quickly. And then, and remember, this is, I wasn't thinking this, this is, hindsight is easy. 
Yeah. Remember, I'm a history major. That's easy. <laughs> but it's easy to look back and say, you know what? The thing that's driving the market, Facebook, Netflix, Google, all these things, you know, Amazon, they're all actually okay during something like this. Easy yeah. to look back and say, not at the time when, gee, look what's going on. This is crazy. But, yeah, I think in this, in this capitalism, Darwinism, and the uh, kill-or-be-killed nature of the stock market really showed itself in this one. Yeah. So, like I said, I was going back and looking at some of these charts um, and I had this folder saved on my computer on our shared drive that was uh, basically from the middle of March last year where we were digging up some of these historical charts. And I've got a, a couple different ones here, but I thought it was interesting. This one chart was showing the five biggest declines in the stock market. So it was going back to 1929, another one 37, 73, 74, and then like I talked about the dot-com and the financial crisis. So those were the five biggest declines in the market. And then it showed the returns one year after the average return off of those declines was 71%. Uh, pretty close to what we're looking at right now. You know, 70, what are we now? So around 75%. Right. And that's pretty darn close. Um, and then it was showing here the subsequent, you know, the, basically the five years after each one of those. So the average in year two is around 13%, 10% in year three, 26% in year four, 10% in year five. And basically, if, if we look at this matrix of returns here, so the five years after each one of those declines, only two out of those 25 subsequent years there were negative returns. Um, so, you know, this is, once again, easy to say in hindsight uh, but, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you should be trying to concentrate on. And I know it's not easy, but trying to concentrate on and say, listen, I don't know when the bottom's going to be. You know, it wound up being around 34%. You know, some of these declines were 60 and 70%. Uh, but whenever the, the bottom is in, the returns off of the bottom are big. And usually the returns in the subsequent five years are, are pretty big as well. So I would say from <clears throat> okay, finish that thought and then because I'm getting older. No, I'm done with the thought. thought. <laughs> I'm done with it. Go ahead. Let's go and I'd be bummed. Um it's a real testament. Most of you listening are clients of ours. I guess some aren't. I have no idea who's listening to this. But most of you are probably clients. And our our clients were amazing during all of this. And it, it made me think about the type of client, for the most part, that there are really two types of clients that you have. Almost all of our clients had the same general uh, philosophical look at retirement planning that we do, or they wouldn't be working with us. Uh, and that means we've put together the plan, like you already said earlier, that is going to account for retirement income. That will still be there when the market declines and, and account for, you know, when these investments are down stocks, you still have bonds and other investments that aren't and we have a diversified portfolio but the other scenario is and this isn't just us this would be everybody our client how engaged is the client in general as the years go on we have mm -hmm. some clients who just you know what honestly 
maybe they listened to the radio show and they came to the seminars we've done and they liked us and, you know, nice people, but they really weren't interested in money that much besides knowing they needed it. And they trust us and they just, you know what, I don't understand this stuff, Dave and Steve, but I trust you guys. And that's that. Right. Um, and we appreciate those clients. We're trustworthy, so that's fine. But as the years go on, we're always trying to educate our clients and remind them what we've done. Meeting mm -hmm. after meeting after meeting, here's our overall plan. Here's where you stand. Here's not just what your investments are and how they're doing, but why we did these. And here's your overall game plan. And why I think it's important, similar to going to a dentist, even if you think your money's fine and you're not worried it and you don't want to bother Dave and Steve, which makes no sense since you're paying us, but, you know, always at least do an annual meeting with your financial advisor because it will reset where you are. It will remind you what you have, why you structured things. So when situations like a year ago today happen, you yep. are in a much better uh, intellectual and psychological position to understand things and to not make a move that would be emotional and wrong and then to ultimately reap the benefits of today, one year later. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. You, and you I mean, can say, wow, Dave and Steve are great. I started with them in 2000 and whatever, <laughs> 2007, and I've had been working with these guys for, you know, whatever, 14 years. And they're great. Well, ultimately, the bottom line is it's you, the client, that has been educated, has been through ups, major ups and downs in, say, a 14- or 15-year period, but in general stay the course to ultimately reap the benefits. <laughs> because well, right now, a lot of, you know, all of our clients who've been clients for a while have reaped the benefits, and it's not just because we picked the right investments and stuff like that. It's also there's an emotional component, and I congratulate all of you on dealing with that emotional component. Yeah, no, I I think you really make a an excellent point, Dave, because it, you know we've had these discussions and we've done these podcasts before about what is the value of a financial advisor. And there's been a lot of research and studies done about, you know, how do financial advisors add value? And some people, their immediate response is, oh, they, they pick good investments for me. You know, my, my financial advisor, oh, they, they pick great investments. And I hope they pick good investments, but that's not truly where the, the real value is. The real value of a financial advisor, of course, there's the, the planning benefits saying, okay, you should take money from this account, not from this account. You should do Roth conversions, and you should delay taking Social Security, and you should structure your assets like this. Um, but there's also a big benefit to making sure that in times like last year that you don't feel forced to sell your stocks when they're down 34%. Now, there's tremendous value to having this plan in place and saying, I, this is painful, and I know Dave and Steve told me stocks can lose money and will lose money from time to time, but I've got the pieces in place, and I understand them well enough. Maybe I'm not an expert, but I understand them well enough that I know that I don't have to sell stocks right now. And this um, last crisis was the best example of it. For as precipitous as the decline was, the upswing was just as fast. Yeah, and well, it was the fastest missed recovery. Even a couple days of that, 
would cost yep. you a great deal of money in the long run for your retirement plan versus not making that decision emotionally to get out for a while or just yeah. for a while. Or I'm not – oh, no, I'm not panicking. I'm just moving into cash for a while. Right. Or any of these things that your brain wants to emotionally tell you. It's so easy in hindsight and so difficult in the moment. So yep. – like I said, I mean, I, I can, I'm talking to a group of people who I already know what's happened <laughs> statistically. So, I, again, this is more of a congratulations to the client. And it's not even, uh, you know, we're going to do whatever you tell us to do. Ultimately, we can make our recommendations. We could be firm in our recommendations, but it's your money. Right. So, ultimately, it's your decision. But, you know, our our group uh, – did a heck of a job. I'm very, very, very uh, proud of our clients. Yeah. And, you know, I think this has been a natural question that, that some people have asked. And I, I'll even give credit to one of my clients, Dave. She was asking me this question last year, probably in May or so. And she asked me, she said, did the pandemic of, of 1918, 1919, and the, the, obviously the First World War, did that lead to the Roaring Twenties? And I, I didn't have a great answer at the time because I, I guess I wasn't as well versed in that history as I am now. Um, but I don't think I told you this. I just finished reading this, this book about the 1918, 1919 Spanish flu pandemic called The Great Influenza by this guy, John Barry. And you've probably seen him quoted a lot because as the coronavirus has gone on, he's been quoted by a lot of different media outlets and it really did the the whole difference with the spanish flu and the pandemic back then which by the way after reading this book sounds so much worse than the coronavirus uh just how violent this was that the people were you know getting sick and just you know there's blood coming from everywhere it was pretty horrible but really what, what contributed partially to the mindset, at least, of the Roaring Twenties, there's a lot of things that went into it, was the fact that the Spanish flu really hit people in that 18 to 40 range particularly hard. So people in that 18 to 40 range, and even more precise, in that 21 to 30 range, that was where the mortality rates were the worst, cool. which is very strange. It's very different than a you know, certainly in a coronavirus where, you know, 65 plus is, is obviously the, the worst ages. For the Spanish flu, people in those younger uh, age ranges, in some areas, the mortality rates were something like 10%, you know, which is just crazy. So you had the World War One ending, you had the Spanish flu pandemic, and that certainly led to this feeling of, hey, I'm alive, I survived this. So now I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, live it up and be crazy. And I don't think you have that same feeling, at least in those younger groups, this time around. Um, so I don't think you have that same feeling either. I, I'm yeah. not a. I mean, the Roaring Twenties was also. It's just a completely different era. Now I think people yeah. will get back to doing stuff. That's oh yeah. Different than going crazy. Um. And things like that, but that's interesting. I never even that one. Yeah. I was I was not familiar with. How we go forward, I'm not sure. We're yeah. never sure. And, 
we've, you know, we've talked to anybody we've met with recently. We've talked about, you know, what are the issues going forward? Obviously, you know, everywhere you turn nowadays, they're just coming out with the uh, rosier and rosier projections for the economy that, you know, oh, we're going to grow by 6%. We're going to grow by 7%, you know, best GDP we've seen in, you know, 40 years, all this stuff. And of course, that's coming on the heels of, you know, last year, which was quite bad. And the, the thought process is that we've got this pent up spending that we haven't been able to spend money and go travel and do things. So there's going to be this pent up spending. And I think some of that will come true. I don't know to, to what extent, but the bigger questions are, you know, how much longer does the Federal Reserve keep these ultra low interest rate policies? How much longer does the Federal Reserve continue these asset purchases that they're doing? And can they or do they have the tools to control inflation? If inflation starts to creep in, you know, will that really be a problem? And then I always feel like the larger question long term has to be, you know, now that our national debt is, what are we at, $28 trillion, something like that? You know, at what point do we see higher taxes? At what point do we have to take some steps to finally address that? Right. And because I think I think that we are going, we'll address this in future podcasts because we're going a little long now, but I think we're, stuff we already do is what's, how can we make the most out of what's going on with the tax loss yeah. or the investment side of things? I think the tax thing is going to be, it's either going to be a small extra issue or a larger one based on, <laughs> Quite frankly, based on whatever, and as we always say, we're not a, we're not political here, but in this case, it would be whatever Biden administration can get done yeah. from Democrats uh, for taxation. I mean, you know, the more that they have in there, the more it's going to be important to the plan for that. And I think that's going to be an issue for a, a tangible issue in the near future for our clients. Yep. Well, congratulations to all of you out there for surviving to the one-year anniversary of the coronavirus decline. I know all of us can look back and, and have a little bit of twinge of regret over investments that we didn't make over the last year. That's easy to do, but I think we should all be thankful for the most part <laughs> that our clients did not sell or not panicking and getting out and stuff like that and that we're able to participate in uh, at least some portion of this recovery from the decline. Yes, indeed. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We will check in again with you soon.